Lord, we give you this time now in our word, uh, in your word, and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would minister to us, Lord. We, um, our soul needs you and your spirit like we need water. We need it so much, Lord. We need your spirit. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Well, Lord, we wait upon you to search our hearts, see if there be any wicked way inside us. Lord, we remember the promise that happy are those whose God is the God of Jacob. And we pray that you would give us a joy that's inexpressible, that only comes from your spirit. We bring nothing but brokenness and faith. Just surrendered before you, God, whatever you would want to speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today's uh, message is called Marriage and Love. Real creative. I was going to do love and marriage, but then you were all going to be singing this theme from Married with Children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I thought that was, well, I just did it anyway, but <laughs> I just don't love her anymore. I've heard that many times. It's the reason people have given me personally for why they're getting a divorce. I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love him anymore. And they look at their marriage and they see the lack of love and the lack of fulfillment and, and they determine it's broken. It's broken. And they may have an opinion on what broke the relationship or they may not even know what broke it, but they're convinced that the problem is that they don't love each other anymore. It's just not working anymore. It's just not worth it anymore. They're tired. They're burned. They're bummed. They're just done. And it's sin. I don't love her anymore. That attitude is a decision that just shouts when I hear it, rebellion and selfishness. And that might sound harsh, so give me a moment to explain. It may be true that you don't love him anymore, that you don't love her anymore, but that's not a situation that means you need to get a divorce. What do you mean? I thought marriage was about loving each other. Well, when you declare, I don't love this person anymore, or they declare to you, I don't love you anymore, it's actually a symptom of a pattern of disobedience, abandonment of God's word and rejection of Jesus' commands. Our, our love in our marriages should not wear out. We should not grow old and worn out like, a, like an old t-shirt in how we love each other. But you may find yourself in a marriage right now that that's what it's like, like an old t-shirt. You remember the day when you opened the gift of that t-shirt and it was bright and shiny colors? It was so exciting, but now it's faded and it's tired Would you keep your finger in Genesis 23, but turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. 
just the beginning of the book of Hebrews. It's way towards the end of the Bible, right before Revelation and Peter and James. You're going to see Hebrews there. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like an old t-shirt, you could say. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will fail not. The thought may be in your mind, if you're married and it's a difficult marriage, I'd like to change my t-shirt. This one's getting old. The B.O. from my sin and my partner's sin has caused it to not be so fresh anymore. But he says here, you are the same, Jesus Christ. You are the same. Your years fail not. Jesus is unchangeable. His love never fails, and he never gets old and never changes. So the love in our marriages ought also to never get old. Because Jesus is God. He's one with the Father, which means his love was always perfect. The reason there's a trinity, the reason there's a father and a son is because there's, their love was always perfect throughout all of eternity. They always had someone to love and it was each other. This love was always perfect. So when we are in Christ, our love also will never get old. It will never fail. When our power to love fails, when you get that quote in your mind, I just don't love her anymore. What has happened is we're getting a message that we have been merely loving from our own own abilities and not from the spirit that makes us one with the Father. We've been loving out of our own efforts. Jesus never had to try hard to love his Father. He was just in relationship with him. He was united with him. He was in love. And he stayed there by choice. And when we are in Christ, we can have that same overflow to our marriage. But if we believe that Jesus not only saves us, but he's the creator of heaven and earth, as this verse here in Hebrews says, we would also not so easily lose heart when our marriage gets tough. When we think about his power to create everything out of nothing, then the situations of our marriage, they don't seem quite so difficult. Jesus can renew love and can restore faithfulness because he is love and he is faithfulness. Jesus can restore it. Jesus can renew it. Jesus can fix it. I don't love her anymore, is a testimony that Christ is far from your resource. He is far from the center of your life, that your life and heart have, been, have abandoned the Lord of heaven and the creator of the universe. His power to love was available and sadly rejected by your flesh. So repentance is the solution. Repent and believe that Jesus will create love when you submit yourself to his word and his promises. He will create the love. It will overflow, even though you don't see how that can happen. But our culture doesn't understand that because we think 
You go on a few dates, and if it clicks and it works, then it's going to last forever. And if it doesn't, then you move on to the next T-shirt. Instead of it being a, a, a way that we can experience God's promises in our life because it's going to be difficult to love. It, it's very seldom easy to lay down your life for your spouse. And God will use it, though, if you believe his promises. He'll use it. So all of that is actually our introduction to Genesis chapter 23. Because in Genesis chapter 23, we see the death of Sarah and her burial. And she, of course, has been married to Abraham, and they've been married for quite a long time. And so we begin reading now in Genesis 23. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. It's amazing how God has worked so much in this marriage. This marriage has been through a lot of really bad times. There's been betrayal. There's been unfaithfulness. There's been abandonment. There's been arguing and fighting. There's been sleeping on the couch. There's been broken hearts. And you may remember each of those different circumstances where Man, they, I mean, at one point, Abraham gave her as a wife to Pharaoh. I just can't imagine the brokenness. And if I've seen, and I've heard many times people say in the church, well, once there's been this and once there's been that, there's no hope for your marriage anymore. And I look at this marriage and, and that's not the truth because there was also good times. They had a child together. They trust, learned to trust in God together. They saw God's faithfulness together. They saw God answer prayers together. They worshiped God together. They sacrificed together. And so I want you to notice that it's together, the together parts of their marriage that build a relationship, that everything built upon. And I think it's an encouragement for us to focus on doing things together if you're married. If you're not married, focus on doing things together with the church with the people in the body of Christ. It creates a deep connection that hurts when it's disconnected through death or divorce. Alfred Lord Tennyson, Lloyd Tennyson is famous for the quote, I would rather have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. And I personally have been through a divorce. And I never wanted to go through divorce. I was a believer. I was the most pro-marriage man in town. Trust me. I put everything I had into this marriage. And at that point, she still decided she wanted to go. And so the Bible says, if the unbeliever wants to depart in peace, or depart, you let him depart in peace. So that's where I was. No matter how hard I wanted to hold on to it, I couldn't. And God allowed this to happen in my life. And today, I can glory in my weakness. I can say, God has allowed me to be broken in a way that I, I wouldn't have been broken otherwise. I can praise God for my trials and in my trials. And I did praise God in that whole trial. And, 
And I know that that was a, a deep, important thing in my life. It's probably why I'm a pastor today. It's because of what God allowed me to go through. If you ever did wonder that whole story, it is available on our website. I have it on the visitor section of our website. There's a video there. You can just watch it, and I just share the whole story kind of in depth. And so if you'd like to, you can, you can kind of hear your pastor's story. But they were growing together, and it hurt Abraham deeply when she died. Not because she was a jerk. Not because he was crying for joy because she was finally rid of her. No, he had a deep connection with her, and he was sad. So verse 3, Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Abraham here, he confesses, he says, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. And this is very true, and the Bible actually picks up on this phrase later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I'm going to read to you guys Hebrews 11, verse 9 through 16. It says, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Pause. Even though Abraham had been given all this land by God, he still had to dwell in it like a foreigner. And we look at, and sometimes we think, man, Jesus has given me everything. I'm an heir to the kingdom through Jesus. I uh, Jesus has literally made me a son of God, and I have right to everything of heaven, so why am I living like a beggar here on earth? Why does that happen? I'm not going to answer right now. I'm going to let it linger as we continue to read in Hebrews 11, verse 9 through 16. Dwelling in tents with, the, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He, he dwelled in tents. He didn't even have a house. And life was frustrating in that situation. There was no solidarity. He wasn't experiencing all that, that he maybe thought he should or deserved as a child of God. Verse 10, he waited, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born many as many as the stars of the, of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. But all these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off were assured of them. And here's the key part. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And... Truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return, but our last verse, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has called you and me and Abraham to live in heaven. He has called us out of this world to live in a heavenly life. We are seeking something better. No matter what this world offers, we are seeking something better. And this plays in to our marriages. Deeply, Abraham 
had many other options, just like you do. You don't have to stay married. You could divorce and get a new T-shirt. But God has prepared something better for you. If the opportunity is there and you can stay married, God has something better for you than anything this world or your own flesh could procure for yourself, could get for yourself. He has something better for you. Have you ever looked around this world and been disappointed? Saying, is this all that there is? I mean, you wake up and you're like, really? You look, or, you look at who's sleeping next to you and you're like, really? I know it's common. And guess what? It's supposed to be that way. Our only purpose here on this world right now is to be the church, to be connected with God and be connected with his body, to minister to one another in the church through all the one another terms in the Bible, to prefer one another, love one another, counsel one another, all the one another things that the church is supposed to do, and to be salt and light to the world. That's our whole entire purpose in this church. That's the whole function of everyone in the body of Christ. And in the world, they have all kinds of different things that they're going after, all kinds of functions that they're trying to perform. But we in the church have those two things, to minister to one another and to be salt and light to the world. That's how it works. It's not our jobs, our cars, our houses, our possessions, or our bank accounts. That's what the world desires. Luke chapter 12 is a very important verse for us to meditate upon, to know. I'm going to read a couple verses from Luke chapter 12, and I always go back to Luke chapter 12 when I get that feeling of, of disappointment in the world. Do you, I mean, I know we all get that feeling of disappointment. So in your mind, when you get that feeling, I want you to remember Luke chapter 12. Luke, I'm going to just go read that whole chapter when I feel disappointed. When someone lets me down, when church lets me down, when church was boring and I didn't get anything out of it, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 12 when my job just isn't a, what it's supposed to be, when my career is falling apart, I, when my marriage is falling, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 12 and I'm going to read it. And this is a couple verses that really stand out. Verse 15 says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist on the abundance of things he possesses. And then you skip down to verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And here's the key part. And your father knows that you need these things. But, verse 31, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, as the church, we're concerned about the kingdom, and that's it. So that's why you stay in a bad marriage. What? That's why you love, and you don't let it be said on your lips, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. Because we're about the kingdom first. And the kingdom says love. Love when it hurts. Love when they're mean to you. Love when they betray you. Love. Keep loving. Keep going. And when you become weary in doing love, Hebrews says, get, fix your eyes on Jesus, lest you become weary. Remember his love, and he'll equip you to love more and love more and love more. And don't fear 
Because it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, when you, when you commit that I am going to love, I am going to love, you're saying God's kingdom is more important than my kingdom. My kingdom wants to be loved. His kingdom wants me to love. My kingdom wants to be served. His kingdom I serve in. My kingdom wants to be happy and comfortable and easy life. His kingdom is serving to death. And it's about his kingdom. And he, he says it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom, along with all the other stuff you need. He'll provide that when your sole focus is I'm going to take care of my responsibilities as a husband and a wife and a single person to love my spouse and my friends and my church. That's what it's about, his kingdom. Abraham was seeking the Lord's kingdom by faith through much of his life, and he found the best part of his life with God is the relationships, that he experienced the best of God through the relationships with his wife, number one, his children, number two, and the fellow believers that were around him. That's where he could experience the best. The people that you're connected with, yes, they can hurt you and they can and will offend you, but in the end, your love will be great with the people in the church. I can promise you that. And if you decide to keep loving and loving your spouse and your family, your love with them will also be great. And you will weep and you will mourn when they're not with you anymore. But it's a good thing. What's going on with Abraham right now is a good thing. In regard to training our children, I think we really need to focus on teaching our boys to love their future wives. And teach your daughters to love their future husbands. You, if you can love them, you can love anybody, anyone else, because no one's gonna annoy you as much. No one's gonna test you as much. No one is going to stretch you as much. But by loving them, even now, I want to train my boys to love their future wives. So we're gonna talk about it. We say, hey, your wife is out there somewhere. You need to be loving her now. Why? Because you'll stay pure. It will equip you to stay pure. By loving them, you will be able to teach your own children how to love. When you grow up and get married, son, you're going to love your wife, and that's how you're going to train your children how to love. By loving them, you're going to teach them the need to be dependent upon Jesus because it is not always easy. Because Hebrews 12.3, I'll read to you, says, For consider him, think about him, think about Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, which so often happens in marriage. And then they say, I don't, just don't love her anymore. I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. I'm weary and discouraged in my soul. You know why? Because you didn't keep your eyes on Jesus. That's why. Not because they were a jerk. Yeah, they're a jerk. Everyone's jerks. Everyone fails. You can marry them or them. All the t-shirts become old. They're all just t-shirts. So it's not about what they did. It's about Jesus Christ and seeking him, considering him, turning your eye to him. Your spouse is a sinner. Everyone turn to your spouse and say you're a sinner if you're married. You can turn to your friend and say they're a sinner too. And that's why we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Consider him, Hebrews says. 
Because that's just the truth. Now, we continue on in Genesis. The rest of this chapter is, is a contractual agreement with Abraham, but we're going to go through it and see what the Lord has for us. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of all the sons of Heth, all who entered the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I will give you the field and the cave that is in it. I will give it to you in the presence of my sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it to me, please hear me. I will give you I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the mer merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, and the field and the cave which is in the field, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of all the sons of Heth. Abraham, uh, before all who went to the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, which is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were all deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as a property for a burial place. Very thorough description of a simple contract. <laughs> I don't understand why. But that's how contracts are. I hate contracts because they're like really boring reading, right? Well, here we see that this is, you know, why does the Bible give us this story? And the really cool thing is this is actually wonderful archaeological proof of the truth of the Bible. Everyone knew where this cave was. Everyone back then, everyone for the past 3,000 years, 3,400 years since this date, everyone has known where this cave is. You can go today to Israel and look up the, the tomb of the patriarchs. You can Google it right now, and you can see all the pictures of this cave. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. Um, you could go there right now. There's a big mosque built above it right now. You can go there. Um, but throughout its history, there's been some really interesting uh, discoveries and people actually like kind of finding it again. In 1170, uh, Benjamin of Tudela visited the city uh, when it was called by its Frankish name, St. Abraham de Bron. Uh, and he reported that, uh, this was his report back in 1170, here is the great church called St. Abram. And this was a place where Jewish people would come and worship in the time of the Mohammedan rule. But the Gentiles have erected there six tombs, respectively called those of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. The custodians tell the pilgrims that these are the tombs of the patriarch, uh, for which information the pilgrims give them money. But if a Jew comes, however, the, and gives them a special reward, the custodian of the cave opens up unto him an iron gate 
uh, which is constructed by our forefathers. And then he is able to descend below the main steps and holding a lighted candle in his hand. And then he reaches uh, a cave in which is nothing to be found. But then there's a cave beyond, which is likewise empty. But then there's a third cave where there are six sepulchers, those of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, respectively facing those of Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah, upon whose names the three patriarchs and their wives are inscribed in Hebrew characters. The cave is filled with barrels containing bones of other people who were taken there as a sacred place. Now, at the, one of those would be Joseph. And at the end of the field of Machpelah stands Abraham's house, from which a spring uh, is in front of it. So, that's just a historical account of exactly what this cave looked like. You can uh, see on Google Images, there's a bunch of photos of that third cave going down there. Um, but it's really neat. I like looking at, at these things and how historically accurate the Bible is. But Abraham, he honors Sarah by entombing her. He loves her. He, and it's interesting how much honor Sarah receives in the Bible. Do you know nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to honor Mary? Nowhere. Not a single verse tells us to do anything to remember Mary. But twice we're told to honor Sarah and remember her as a godly example. Twice we're told that. In Isaiah 52 and in 1 Peter, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, both were told that Sarah was an example of godliness, of faith. In Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You are going to die. Unless we're raptured out of here, you're going to die. You should expect to live about 70 years. That's what the Bible says. It's average 70 to 80 years is what we're going to get. That's all the time that we have to serve God and to live by faith. Then we die. Then we go to heaven. And it's precious in God's sight when we get to enter into that glory, when we get to end our pilgrimage, when we get to no longer be sojourners, but we get to actually experience all that he has for us, all that he has given to us, and that's just been waiting for us. And we might just wish that we'd lived a different life when we get there. In the end, it is all going to be about faith. Again, this is the only time in your entire existence and eternity that you get to live by faith. When you get to heaven, there's no more living by faith. It's done. This is the only time you can take steps of faith. This is the only time you can say, maybe God might use me today. I'm going to go share the gospel with someone. You can't do that in heaven. It's done. It's done. Did we trust the Lord in our marriage? Did we persevere in love? Did we trust the Lord with our children? Did we trust the Lord in our jobs in our friendships, did we demonstrate faith with our time, with our opportunities that we've been given? Did we trust the Lord? Because that's the only thing that's going to matter. Let us confess any area of our life that we know we have not been trusting him right now. And no matter how many years left, maybe you got 40 years left, 50 years left, maybe you got one. It's never too late to start living by faith. So that when you get to heaven, you can say, I live by faith. I died and I was going full speed, 100 miles an hour by faith. Everything I was doing was for the Lord, by faith. We need to call on the Spirit to search our hearts so we have this purity. We need to hate evil self-confidence and love holiness. 
We need to not trust in any arm of the flesh, but only in the grace of Jesus, our Savior. We're going to sing two songs now. We're going to take communion. We got communion available here, even gluten-free, which I love. But we're going we're to sing a couple songs, and we're going to allow the Lord to search our heart during these songs. And uh, as we get into it and as we start singing, just stand up and come down here when you're ready. And, and communion is so vitally important. Worship team, you can come on up. Um, communion is so important for us to remember and to believe in how, in that all of this was not just a pastor talking. All of this was not just some guy spouting off stuff. But, but the Lord has actual spiritual things to do in our hearts. And what actually get those, gets those things done in our hearts is the blood and body of Jesus Christ. It is not us saying, wow, that was a good message. I'm going to go change my life. Never do we want to do that. We always want to say, I've heard the word of the Lord. Jesus, make it real. Make it real in my heart by the blood that you shed and the body that was broken for me. We, we thank you so much that you provide us the power and the resources, the grace to live a loving life, to, to live a life where it's about your kingdom and not our own, that our marriages declare openly that we love you. We love you first. And Lord God, I pray that you would bring healing and restoration and love to those who maybe realize that there's been a, there's been a, um, a dependence on self. And Lord, that we would just throw ourselves upon you and keep our eyes on you and seek for your grace to change us and renew us and make us whole, make us right. We receive this all by faith and humility. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.